0: Welcome to Restoration Road Online. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Good morning. Uh, If we have not met, my name is Trevor. Um, I'm a pastoral candidate here, which means I'm kind of like an intern, but I do drastically less coffee runs than I expected to do. Um... I mostly serve under Pastor Joey with him and Dave. Uh, I run a small group here, and I run the AV team. First off, I want to just say um, thanks for being here, and I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Um, I know it's hard to come to church on Sunday after my mic is on. Should be on. On on my end. Is that better? Ah, should I do that all over again? No. If you didn't hear it, it's whatever. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm thankful you guys are all here. I know it's hard to be in church early Sunday after a holiday weekend, especially one where you eat just carbs for like three days straight. At least that's what I did. Um, I I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving, whether you spent it with family or friends or you guys had time to to kind of um, enjoy time off by yourself. I got to go see my family Uh, for the first Thanksgiving, I think in three or four years. My family has recently all kind of moved back to Connecticut except for me. So now I'm the outlier even though I was the closest child for like the longest time. Um, So I got to go down and spend time with them. And uh, my nephew uh, is getting to that age where he can now remember who people are. So now he knows who I am, and I'm not just some stranger who shows up three times a year. And he also is getting to that age where he has infinite stamina and only wants to wrestle. So for about a week straight, he told my sister, I'm going to wrestle Uncle TJ. Like every day, like he woke up, did a push-up, looked my sister in the eye and said, I'm going to wrestle Uncle TJ. So I got to their house, um, to, my, to my parents' house, and we're all saying hi, and the next thing I know, I lock eyes with a four-year-old, and he beelines to me and gives me a good one, two, three in the stomach, just to start things skimmed off right. Um, and then I was, I was reflecting on, you know, the topic for today, which is going to be the desire of our hearts, because that's kind of what the story of Cain and Abel is about. Um, and man, did I see the depravity in that kid's eyes. <laughs> It starts, it starts so young, uh, but I love him, and I'm glad that, that we have my family around, and we can kind of hang out with them now. Um, when we look at Cain and Abel, we see two distinct parallels between two very similar people. Both are born to the same parents, both are hard workers with honorable careers, both bring sacrifice to the Lord, but in Abel we see a man who, by faith, brought a sacrifice of first fruits and the fat of his lambs. But in Cain, we see a man who um, brought a sacrifice to the Lord that was unworthy. Genesis is a book of firsts, right? Uh, That's kind of what it means. It means beginnings. Chapter 4 is chock full of them. We see the first family. We see the firstborn son. We see the first sacrifice, the first mention of the offering of first fruits, the first exile from God and from family, the first murder, and the first mention of vengeance. The story of Cain and Abel might be familiar to us whether we were raised in the church or not. Um, It is a universal principle about hatred, but we tend to do ourselves a disservice when we reduce the passage to simply mean Abel good, Cain bad. Like, we all know murder is wrong, right? But there's so much more that is going on in these verses than merely uh, morality or action. It's all about the heart behind it. So today we're going to take a journey in three points. Point one will be sinful hearts led us to exile. Point two will be what is the desire of your heart. And point three will be a perfect heart leads us home. Genesis chapter four is a direct conclusion of Genesis chapter three. And I know it's been like two weeks since we did chapter three. So just a little recap. Chapter three was about the fall of man. It's about Adam and Eve sinning in the garden by eating the fruit, and then being cast out of the garden. And chapter 3 ends with a phrase. It says, Adam and Eve were east of Eden. Now, if you're like me, you immediately think, geographically, they're like east of Eden, right? Um, That's true, but this phrase is actually more of a turn of phrase. It means to be far from God. So when you see that phrase, east of Eden, it means you're away from the presence of God. So we know that Cain and Abel are both born already far from God. They are born in exile away from the presence of God. It is because of their sinfulness that Adam and Eve um, bring Cain born into the world with a nature that is now contradictory to himself, as God says. It's sinful. I imagine that Eve must have been confused when it came to the first pregnancy, right? Because I guess she just started counting as she started to get bigger, hoping it would one day end. You know, can you imagine one day, two days, week, week, month, month, Okay, you get to nine and it ends, and she probably wrote that nine months. Good, got it. I couldn't even imagine what raising the first child would be like without ever even seeing a child. There is now a small person here. What do I do with this? Um, Could you imagine the world's first toddler? The terrible twos, the first set of them. Um, Without knowledge of anything that's going on, you know, Eve probably thought the snake in the garden was wild. Now she has this to deal with. At least that was a one-time event. This is a lifetime. In fact, we can actually see by the wording in verse 1 that Eve probably thought Cain was the child of promise from chapter 3. Because in chapter 3 it says, From your seed a Redeemer will come. Um, And I imagine after, you know, birthing the child, she rejoices. She said, It's the child of promise. And then she doesn't sleep for three weeks. And she goes, Adam, I made a mistake. This ain't him. Never mind. As Cain and Abel grew, though, Adam would have taught them how to work, how to make sacrifices. We see uh, in verse 2 that Abel is a shepherd and Cain is a farmer. And in time, they would both bring offerings of what they do to the Lord. Uh, Their offerings would allow them to kind of bridge the gap between God, because now they're far from God, right? Adam and Eve got to kind of dwell in the presence of God, but Cain and Abel have to now bridge the gap to God to re-enter his presence. Um, What do we learn from this? We learned that work precedes sacrifice. Abel and Cain both needed to toil before they can give to the Lord. Abel needed to raise his herds. Cain needed to plant his seeds. But both needed to produce something before they could offer something. Verse 4 tells us that Abel brought the first fruits and the fats of his herds, while Cain brought an offering. And I want to paint a word picture for you guys, because I cannot say Cain and Abel— without having a vivid flashback from my childhood from a picture Bible I used to have. I think we've probably all seen a child's picture Bible, right? We've all seen the kind of cartoony ones. This wasn't cartoony. This was the Renaissance paintings of children's picture Bibles. This thing did not stray away from violence, did not stray away from hard topics. It was like oil paintings page to page, and, and they were extremely detailed. But when it came to came and Abel, right, the picture was a big ball of flaming light in the center. I guess that's God. I don't don't know about that one. But on the left side of the page, you have Abel, who is cut. He looks like he just hit the gym. He got some fresh robes on. He's got all these white sheep around him. He has a nice haircut. And on the right side is Cain, and he looks like he hasn't showered in a week. He's grimy, he's dirty, and he has a bucket just full of broken carrots. This image has been seared into my mind this entire week, as I've been preparing for this. And I just want you guys to kind of imagine what I imagine when I think of Cain and Abel. But let us imagine for a moment, it is the spring, and Cain has diligently planted all of his crops. Rows on rows of toiled ground and good soil, and he's standing on the edge of his field, and he looks out and he says, this is good for Cain. See, Cain's issues with his sacrifice didn't start at the altar. They started at the planting of seed. The desire of his heart were already focused on him from the beginning. On the other hand, let's observe Abel. He's a shepherd in a society that would have taken the idea of first fruits and raising extremely serious. So during the time of the birthing, when the, when the sheep would start to give up lambs, Abel would have expected each one for blemishes. Then he would have probably picked out the top five and put them to the side. And as they grew, he would pick the best one from that. Abel looks over his flocks and he says, these are good. This one's for God. Abel's heart was in the right place from the beginning. He put himself, his family, his livelihood second in order to honor God. To put it simply, God does not require a sacrifice of whatever is left over like a bucket of broken carrots or nor does he um, require a sacrifice of what I can give after I've taken what's for me. God requires the first fruits, the best of the best. There has to be work done before sacrifice can be presented because it is the heart Of the one making the sacrifice that matters, not the sacrifice itself. In verses 6 and 7, God speaks and tells Cain that if he would try, his sacrifice would be accepted. It is not what is brought to God that makes it pleasing to him. It's the heart that brings him. God would go on to say, be careful where your heart is, because sin is crouching at the door waiting for you. Sin is a fickle thing, right? It doesn't start at murder. It starts small. It starts when Cain put his seeds into the ground. It begins to grow. The thoughts in his head would have become, why shouldn't I have the best of my harvest? When sin goes unchecked, when the desire of our hearts become about self and not God, is when sin is able to kind of take root and grow into something terrible. My wife is very much into true crime. I know you wouldn't guess that if you've ever met her. She is the smallest, sweetest thing in the world. Um, And I was very shocked by that when we started dating, because she was like, I think we were on a road trip to Connecticut. She's like, you want to listen to the podcast? And I was like, I love podcasts. Sure, what is it? And then it was like, Angelica put snails in her sister's soup. That's how we knew she was a mass murderer. And I was like, where are we? How do we get here? What exit did we take? She's really into documentaries and podcasts about things like true crime. And all of them have a reoccurring thing. It starts small. It always starts small. Nobody wakes up and says, today's a good day for murder. At least, not normally. Neither did Cain wake up and say, today's a good day to bring the Lord trash. All of it started small. All of it had a small beginning that started in his heart. Chapter 4 ends past the part of Abel being killed with a familiar phrase. Um, Cain goes off on his own And he is now east of Eden He is far from God He is in exile just as his parents were And being in exile um, Brings us a few things Doesn't it? Brings us emptiness Brings us loneliness It brings us disfellowship It brings us dysfunction It brings us pain, it brings us anger All of these things Cain cultivated Instead of killed He grew instead of destroyed His sin was crouching at the door and he opened it willingly. I'm not gifted with green thumbs at all. Um, like some of you are. I know we have plant parents here in the church, uh, my wife being one of them. Uh, she can make anything grow. She will go over to other people's houses and they'll be like, this plant died. And she'll be like, I'll take it. And the next thing you know, it's flourishing. Our house is full of vines and bushes and uh, snake plants and cactuses. And you can walk into any room and go, that belongs outside. And it probably does. Um, but she is so talented with making things grow, and, and, and I'm not. The other day, in fact, I was walking through our kitchen, and I saw a plant, and I touched it, and it fell out with no roots. I killed it immediately <laughs> by simply being next to it. it. It's no easy feat to raise a plant. Never mind be a farmer. It's no easy feat to herd sheep. It's no easy feat to raise a child. We all cultivate something in our lives maybe it's not something physical maybe it's a career or a business maybe even it's your family or your collection of vintage movie posters whatever it may be we all cultivate something so i want to ask you what do you cultivate what is the desire of your heart we all have desire that's just basic human being and we can break those into three things we call them the three t's we have our treasure our time, and our talents. Our treasure can be anything we hold dear. It can be our wealth, our income, our job, our family, our our husband, our wives, our our kids, our grandkids. It could be our home, our property. It can be a collection of some sort. Our our treasure is anything we look at, we, we just feel pride. That brings us honor. That makes us feel good. It brings us life. Our time is how we spend it, right? Our free time is ours. Maybe you work out. I do not. Maybe you play basketball. Maybe... Uh, You enjoy a good cup of coffee. Maybe you enjoy reading books. You know, our work time is also spent in our own interest. It's spent bettering our careers. It's spent climbing the corporate ladder. It's spent um, grinding at the millstone to build up savings. All of us even have talents. Whether it's being hospitable, whether it's singing or writing, maybe it's mixed martial arts, maybe it's speaking, maybe it's listening. We all have something in us that honors us and that we cultivate and that we grow. And all of these things in and of themselves are very good things. But don't get me wrong. I'm not saying quit your job. I'm not saying forsake your family. I'm not saying to stop singing or making art or doing mixed martial arts. That would make us the church equivalent of that town from Footloose. We're not about that. What I'm saying is check your heart. Where do these things rank? And how do we steward them? What is it that you want? Do you want the best career? The best retirement? Do you want your best years in college? Do you want a huge salary? Do you want good health? Do you want a big family? All of these things are good, but when they become more than good, when they become the ultimate thing in your heart, that's when the door opens to sin, and that's when they become idolatry. Our treasure, our time, our talents, they're our firstborns. They're our fruits. and our firstfruits belong to God, not to us. I ask myself, do I use my firstfruits to honor God or honor myself? Does Trevor use what he has been given to bring glory to the name of God? To bring a sacrifice that is worthy of, uh, to bring a sacrifice that is a worthy offering? Do I have it in myself to put my pride aside, to put myself aside, my ego aside, my wants and my desires aside, as to use everything I have as a living sacrifice for the Lord? But does Trevor want what's best for Trevor? And do I throw my offering into, you know, the bucket each week? Because we don't have a bucket. I don't know why I said that. That's like the Pentecostal in me coming out. Uh, (laughs) Do I throw my offering in each week because I want to give or because it's the first uh, first fruits of my labor? What's Trevor's heart's desires? Honestly, vinyl records. I'm really into vinyl. I have a pretty big vinyl collection. Um, That was post me deciding that was a bad idea. I'm a sucker for vinyl. Not even really the sound. I like the way they look. I like the colors. I like the feel. I like the texture. It makes me happy. Um, I used to really collect band t-shirts a lot. I used to have more band t-shirts than normal shirts, but then someone said I had to dress normal, so now I don't have them anymore. Um, so I decided to kind of pivot, and I got into collecting records. And it started as a little hobby, and at one point in my life, and grew into obsession. I can spend hours in a vinyl store just digging through records. I would plan my whole like week around it. I'd be like, okay, Saturday's my day. I'm going to the store. I got my list of most wanted. I'm gonna look for variants. I'm gonna spend all my time digging through records. And not just time. I could spend money. There were days I was just sitting on the couch, looking on my phone, I'm like, $80 for a record I already have. This one's blue with orange sprinkles, though. That's kind of cooler than the one I already have. My heart's desires are not always the same as the Lord's. And at times, we need to stop and put them into check. My first fruits, at times, have been thrown around, spoiled, spoiled. Wasted. There are other times in my life where I would give, but I'd only give after I got my cut. I was giving, but I still needed to be first. And hear me, if life is overbearing and you can only give the widow's might, whether that be of your treasure, time, or talent, then give the widow's might, but give it as your first fruit and give it honorably. Just make sure God comes first. And if life is joyous and abundant, give your first fruits of your labor, and not out of the plenty that you have. The devotion of our desire is shown through our giving of our time, talents, and treasures. We can ask ourselves, how can I serve? Where can I help? How can I give? So I'm going to ask you again, what are the desires of your heart? And how can it be used to glorify God? Every day we are faced with a choice. We can be like Cain, or we can be like Abel. We can desire what is best for ourselves, or we can take our first fruits to God. In the book of Jude, we are told that if we have desires of our hearts that are not pleasing to God, the believer is actually participating in something that Jude calls the way of Cain, which Jude goes on to say is self-serving, self-righteous, and opposite of God. It's a pretty harsh statement. And I'm not saying that to sound condemning. I'm saying that to plead with you. To give you hope for your eternal soul. To not walk in the way of Cain. To not allow little sins to become big sins and devour you, because the way of Cain is what led us to exile to begin with. But there's hope for a return. So Cain wasn't the child of promise, as Eve thought, right? That child would be born many years later. He would live a sinless, blemish-free life. He would never enter the way of Cain. He would surpass Abel in sacrifice, and in the way that Adam led all of mankind into exile, he would be able to bring us all home. And that man is Jesus Christ. In our exile, while we were far from God, death was an ever-present danger. God said to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. And what are the rages of sin? According to the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, they are death. This is where Adam and Eve led us. This is where Cain leads us. And this is our end without Christ. It is death. Not even sacrifice, as it was back then, can truly save us it was just a band-aid to man's problems abel's sacrifice didn't bring him back into the garden he did not go before god and god said this is great you're back in no it allowed him to enter the presence and that was all we need a perfect sacrifice an ultimate first fruits a perfect savior adam and eve made us outsiders when they sinned in the garden jesus entered willingly into exile to bring us back in he lived a perfect life died a sinless death and made an atoning sacrifice that would allow us back into the presence of god the writer of hebrews would even say and to the sprinkled blood of jesus that speaks a better word than the blood of abel we read earlier that abel's blood cried for vengeance jesus's blood cries out for forgiveness It is only by the blood and his sacrifice that we can escape exile and return home. And what do we find in Christ that we lacked in exile? We find life. We find intimacy. We find fellowship. We find wholeness. We find love. Jesus is what is called the first fruits of all creation, which does not mean he is created, but rather he is perfection of creation. While on earth he lived a perfect life, while Abel's heart was set right at sacrifice, Jesus' heart was set right eternally. He is above all of creation because of his preeminence, and that's our big like word for the day. That's your five dollar word you get to keep. Preeminence means surpassing all others or absolutely superior. Jesus' sacrifice surpassed all other sacrifice. He is our first fruits, the perfect sacrifice that brings us before God and brings us out of exile and brings us home once more. Our hope doesn't even end there, though, because in Corinthians, Paul again writes that Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection for those who have fallen asleep. So not only was Jesus the first fruits to bring us in, he is the first fruits of resurrection to bring us back to life after death, to live eternally. The ever-present danger of death that we experience in exile has become no more through the almighty work of Jesus Christ. And Paul would go on to write in Corinthians, O death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. So in closing, I ask you one more time. What do you cultivate? What does your heart desire? We have to make a choice every day to be like Cain and be self-serving or be like Abel and be God-honoring. I implore you to be like Abel. Give God your first fruits because Jesus gave everything for us already. And I'm going to challenge you this week. Examine yourself this week. In the in what places do you come first and God come second? Where are your first fruits and what brings you pride and joy? After that, ask yourself, how can I honor God with my first fruits today, tomorrow, next week, and onward? Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for being our first fruits, for bringing us home from exile, for doing what we could not. And Lord, we ask that you help us to forsake the way of Cain, to move away from the desires of our hearts and towards the desire of yours. Father, we thank you for your atoning sacrifice in Jesus. We thank you for everything you've done for us. We thank you for your word. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Sunday's sermon at Restoration Road. We hope it blessed you and invite you to join us for next service at 10 a.m. on Sunday. God bless.